Good afternoon. As the Lord has summons us to worship, he summons us now to his holy word. So may the Lord give us grant that we would have attention to his precious word. We are in the, at the end of Psalm 16 that we've been studying. This is the third Lord's Day. We plan to complete the psalm uh, with the last four verses from verse 8. So let's just read the, that portion, Psalm 16 and verse 8. And as I said before, it's a pity to have to break the psalm. And because there are no natural breaks, it is like all scripture, one unit. Let's read then Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. This golden psalm, what a wonderful psalm. And we've been talking about the fact that it's a messianic psalm. And messianic prophecies reveal Christ to us in the pages of the Old Testament the mystery of Christ unfolding, as Pastor Sam has said, often as a veil and we see darkly thousands of years before his coming. We blessed, of course, that the New Testament interprets the old for us and removes the veil for us when Christ has come. And this is true of the old whole of the Old Testament, and Jesus bore witness to this very fact. We read in Luke 24 and 44, Then he said to them, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, and everything written about me in the law and of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And verse 46 of the same chapter, And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise again. And Paul explaining the mystery of Israel's salvation in Romans 11:38 says, From him, Christ, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So whether it is the Old Testament, the Psalms, or Genesis, or Malachi, or Revelation, it's all about Christ. And so as we acknowledge that the whole word of God is messianic in its message and its purpose, yet it's also true, as we see in Psalm 16, that certain Old Testament passages are directly and clearly messianic in nature, as is observed in the text, the text itself and in some cases where Old Testament passages, like the one before us, are quoted in the New Testament directly as being such, they speak of Christ. That's the case with Psalm 16. It's directly messianic, especially as seen in these last four verses. Those spoken by David becomes clear that he speaks not of himself, but he speaks of a prophet Words that can only be fully attributed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter, on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, quotes 
talking about Christ, he quotes, he states, For David, the psalmist says concerning him, concerning Christ then, and what does he do? Then he quotes the verses that we read today, exactly these verses. And then in second, in Acts chapter 2, he explains in verse 29. He says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both, that both died and was buried and is in his tomb, which is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants before him on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Peter was preaching the gospel and the central message of the gospel without which there would be no good news for mankind is the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we see in this psalm. This is a psalm full of gospel grace as it speaks to us of the most significant event in the redemption of God's people namely the Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection, the heart and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit tells us through Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, but if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is futile. A quote, this psalm has something of David in it, but much more of Christ. It begins with such experiences of devotion as may be applied to Christ, but concludes with such confidence of a resurrection. And so timely a one is to prevent corruption or decay as must be applied to Christ, to him only, and cannot be understood of David. And note again, Peter in his sermon of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2 and 24, of the resurrection of Christ, he speaks, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It cannot refer to David, because David died, and he decayed, and his tomb, if you want to pay the money as a tourist, you can go and see his tomb. It is with us uh, to this day. For David, after he has served the purpose of God in his own generation, Acts 13 tells us, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. And so this is what these last verse, four verses of this psalm is about. In the first seven verses of our study, our focus was on the psalmist, but we also observed the application in a more perfect sense to the Messiah. But now as we come to the last four verses, our focus shifts to the Messiah first. To the Messiah first. Because as David, by the Spirit, writes about himself as the type of Christ, so in these verses we have prophecy relating to the Messiah, the sufferings, death, resurrection, and consequent glory of the Christ. So this psalm is all 
about Christ. Well, if you take copious notes, you'll be at number seven today in the total of nine points. But I'm just going to say point number one. If you want the whole psalm, it's together. It's point number seven. So three simple points today with four uh, applications and lessons at the end, if you like. Number one, in the same context, this psalm shows. So this psalm shows the son's strength and confidence in God. This psalm shows the son's strength and confidence in God. It's right there, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not, never be shaken. And the Son of Man is the only person of whom it may be said perfectly, as he walked this earth, Without faltering, never doubting, never sinning, never for his moment taking his eye and his trust, even for a split second on this earth, from God, who is his strength, who is at his right hand, his confidence, and he was never shaken, never moved by fear or doubt, never doubted for a moment in the dark providence of securing salvation for his people which meant suffering and death that is Christ I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand I shall not be shaken that was our savior upon this earth fully man fully man and since David prophetically speaks of himself as a type of Christ, so he speaks the language of Christ himself. He speaks concerning him, not concerning himself. I have said the Lord always before me. Or I have, I foresaw the Lord always at my face. He was always before me. And brothers and sisters, this confident expectation and prophecy of the special presence of God with the Redeemer in his services, in his sufferings. I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. That is what we have here. And there's two things we should note about this prophecy of the Messiah of our Lord Jesus Christ. Firstly, that he would suffer and die. That he would suffer and died. And it's implied here in our text. I shall not be shaken. Shaken from what? Whatever he had to face on this earth, especially the suffering of death for our souls. Suffering of Christ on this earth prophesied in many places in the Old Testament scriptures. Perhaps the most vivid and detailed being in the suffering servant of Isaiah in those passages, particularly passage 50, chapter 53, that will be so familiar to all of us. And though in the psalm this is implied, David talks of the Messiah and his soul in Sheol, the place of the dead, but there he is not abandoned. And though dead, yet his body will not see decay or corruption. And this is central, as we said, to the gospel and the redemption of God's people through the suffering and death of the Messiah. Paul, writing to Corinthian church, stresses these things to them. Here is everything about the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you of 
first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that Christ would suffer and die. As foretold, and for three days, his body would and did remain in the tomb, conquering death, and he would descend into hell, parading a host of freed captives triumphantly, and Sheol would be no more. Then his uncorrupted body he will take up again as God raised him from the dead, and he will ascend into heaven as he did triumphantly into the glorious presence of the Father with the same glory he had with the Father before the world began, as John has taught us. There, hyper-exalted, exalted to the highest place, given the name that is above every name, and there he is, preparing a place for his church from when he will come again. What can shake and move a man on this earth? Everything. Just about everything. Surgery, the loss of a job, a doubting faith. So many things do and will shake us and move us. We are tested and tried. We are firm and at times filled with doubt. But what could possibly have moved or shook, as the scriptures say, the Christ? His suffering? His death? The punishment and wrath of God? poured out on him for our sin, so many things could move him and shake him fully man. But they did not. Nothing. He was not shaken. For the Son of Man, the prophesied Messiah, of him David writes, I have set the Lord always before me, he is at my right hand. In other words, he is my strength. And because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And even though he drinks that very bitter and dark cup given him by the Father. And Simon Peter in the garden, he's been told about this and Jesus warned him about this. And he wants to stop this. This is not right. He takes his sword when they arrest Jesus, chops off the servant of the high priest's ear uh, to stop this inevitable thing of the suffering and death of Christ happening. And what does Jesus say to him? Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? The Messiah will suffer. Messiah did suffer and died as was prophesied here. The second thing we should note here is that the Messiah would be preserved by the divine power through his suffering and death. The psalm tells us that the Messiah would be preserved by the divine power through his suffering and death. Nothing will move him. He will not be shaken in this dreadful suffering and death. Nothing will deter him from the work of redemption he came to accomplish, given to him by the Father, tempted by the devil, hated, suffered, bled, died, 
his body in the tomb raised again. Nothing would shake him. Jesus, throughout his ministry, was unshaken because he trusted in God. He was preserved and he was strengthened from the outset of his ministry, right at the beginning by God Almighty. He goes in the wilderness and fasts and prays for 40 days a night, then is led to be tempted by the devil, and the angels come and minister to him and strengthen him. I will not be shaken. He is my right hand. I will not be moved. Even in his final suffering and death, he would not be shaken or moved, and he would not be driven from his great undertaken, undertaking or sink under the weight of it or fail or even be discouraged in it. He had set the Lord before him and God was at his right hand, so he was preserved until he could finally say, it is finished. It is finished. And Isaiah's prophecy, prophecy in chapter 42 confirms this in verse, uh, verse 4. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice on the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. This was Christ's perfect experience on this earth prophesied by David in the psalm. This is only Christ, surely. Brothers and sisters, this too can be our expectation and the sworn promise of God to us that those who trust in God will never be shaken. Those who set the Lord always before them, God becomes their right hand. God is their strength. Though they may be weak, He is strong. And the worst things that can ever befall Him will befall them, will not shake them. And in a feebler and less perfect sense, everyone who trusts in God, everyone who sets God before their eyes, you will never be shaken, for God is at your right hand. He is your refuge and strength. And that man will find God to be a very present help in trouble, even in death. Even in death, as Christ was, that last bridge that the Christian must cross. This psalm shows the strength and confidence in God. He would suffer and die. He would be preserved by divine power through his sufferings and death. And then in the second place, our second main point, this psalm shows the son's joy in the preservation by the Father. This psalm shows the Son's joy in that preservation by the Father. Look at it, verse 9 and 10. David says, but Christ says here, Therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to show. I am going to die. It is for this reason I came to earth. There is no uncertainty. I will die for my people, but my flesh will dwell secure. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. And 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us 
what is going on here. It lifts the veil from our eyes of the New Testament. He says concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Look at the psalm. That is exactly what happens here. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from God things which angels long to look at. And David, as he writes, as he prophesies, as he speaks of Christ and as Christ his soul is elated. He's caught up in heaven, as it were. His heart leaps. His whole being rejoices, the psalm says. I, I thought of John and the Isle of Patmos caught up in the third heaven and all this going around him. David, speaking of Christ, who in his flesh as a man, even while facing certain death, his flesh nevertheless dwells secure. His flesh dwells. Christ is overjoyed in his God as he faces suffering and death. He is ecstatic. His heart is glad. He, for he will save his people whom he loves from their sins. He who knew no sin will become sin for them that my church, my people may have the righteousness of God through him and his joy and blessed state. In God is because of this. And in spite of all that he was about to face, he utters with confidence and great joy. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. I will face all this. I will not be moved. In fact, I rejoice. My whole being rejoices. I'm coming to save my church. And you will not abandon my soul to Sheol when I die. Or let your Holy One see corruption the messiah will die but he would not be abandoned among the dead god will preserve him and even his body that lay three days in the tomb would be preserved without corruption without decay and will be reunited and was reunited at his resurrection with his soul and he rose again forever incorruptible as he always was. It is the central message of the revelation of Christ, of God in Christ, and the security of every believer in Christ, the resurrection of Christ. And Jesus said it. He said it plainly, lifting the veil, moving the mirror, face to face, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Brothers and sisters, it is this prospect which the Redeemer had of his own resurrection and the glory that was to follow which carried him cheerfully through this undertaking. Therefore my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. You will not abandon my soul to shield. Or let your Holy One see corruption. 
this psalm shows us the suffering and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this unspeakable joy and confident expectation is for all those who bow the knee to the Father, who believe on His Son, who set the Lord always before them, always setting their eyes on God. God will strengthen. He will preserve. He will become your right hand regardless of what, what is before you in this life. Remember, Jesus Christ, it was for the joy set before Him that He endured the cross, scorning its shame. And for the believer's joy before Him, He welcomes whatever cup the Lord gives Him to drink. In this life, bitter and sweet, joy and sorrow, infirmity or good health, suffering, persecution, infirmity for Christ's sake and for that eternal weight of glory. And so this psalm is for every believer here today. This psalm shows the son's joy in the preservation by the father. Thirdly and finally, and this is a very short point, number three. This is where we're all going. This is where Christ went. This is where he is. And this is where he's going. Number three, this psalm shows Christ's fullness of joy in heaven eternally. This psalm shows Christ's fullness of joy in heaven eternally. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. That is where he wanted to be. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And that is what it was all about. The glory of God. The glory of the Father in the Son and the Son in the Father. In the salvation accomplished by Christ through his incarnation, his life, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his session at God's right hand. This is Christ in God in fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. We must go to the high priestly prayer. If you just want to peek in to what was going on in our Savior's mind as he prays, to God before his disciples. It's, it's a son expresses to the Father, not as a reminder to him, but for our instruction and for our eternal security in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 17, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Yes, it's here, it's here. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. That is what our salvation is all about. The glory of God and the glory of the Son. I glorified you on earth having accomplished all the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me with, in your presence with the glory I had before you, before the world. With you before the world existed. You have shown me the path of life, the presence, there's fullness of joy at your right hand. There are pleasures for every more. And the path chosen for the Son by the Father, by the triune God in covenant together to bring salvation and redemption for those chosen before the foundation of the world. 
led to the glory of the triune God. It led to the exaltation of the Son and the path of life. Likewise, the path given to the believer will be hard. It will be scattered with joys and sorrows and suffering. And yes, we must all face death. But it also leads to that eternal weight in glory, in God's presence forever. So that the believer can say, I am yours. You've purchased me with your blood. You have shown me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Your right hand of pleasures forevermore. That right hand which strengthened and preserved and kept me on this earth. Like a father who has to do something for his son is too weak. So God was with us on this earth and will be with us. And will bring us to glory. To his right hand. Where there are pleasures forevermore. This psalm shows Christ's fullness of joy in heaven eternal. What a no wonder they call this a golden psalm. As we finish, I have four lessons and applications from our text. Four things. Number one, it is both wisdom and duty to set the Lord always before us. What must I do about this? What's the right thing to do here? What does this passage of scripture mean? I set the Lord always before me. We are to see God continually before us wherever we are. To eye him as our chief good and our highest delight. Our Lord and our master, our teacher and our guide. He has become our right hand. We have the presence, power and the help of the spirit through his word as a light to guide us and to sanctify us here in his church. While we thus live, we shall not be moved, either from duty or from the comfort of our salvation. No matter what cup you have to drink, set the Lord always before you. You have the example of Christ and God became, was at his right hand. And he was never moved. Number two, the second lesson. If you set the Lord always before you, your heart and tongue will always rejoice in him. If you set the Lord always before you, your heart and tongue, your whole being will always rejoice in him. And it is your fault if you do not. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I say it again, rejoice. If the heart rejoices in God, let the mouth speak and sing of his glory. We should sing these psalms to the edification of others. Teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. With thanksgiving in our hearts to God. There is true worship. There is true worship. Always give praise to God. Therefore my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh always dwells secure. Psalm 50 and verse 23. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. Did you know that? You glorify God when you give him thanks. Or who orders his way rightly. I will show the salvation God. 
the path of life. In thy presence there is fullness of joy forevermore. The third, third lesson, number three. This is a wonderful lesson that unless Christ comes again, you will all face every single one of us. Whether you're 23 or 13, 61, the Christian facing his death, like Christ, can cheerfully lay aside the body in a believing expectation of a joyful resurrection. The Christian facing his death, like Christ, can cheerfully lay aside his body in a believing expectation of the joyful resurrection. My flesh shall rest in hope. Our bodies have little rest in this world, but in the grave they shall rest as in their beds. Isaiah 57, verse 1 and 2. The righteous man perishes, and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands, for the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in uprightness. And while we have little to hope for in this life, but we shall rest in the hope of a better life, that we may put off this body in that hope. Death destroys the hope of man, but not the hope for the believer. Proverbs 14:32: the wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. The righteous finds refuge in his death. Unlike Christ, our bodies will go to the grave and decay and see corruption, but they shall at the end of time be raised to immortality. And our resurrection will, because of his, be as real as his. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Look forward to it. And as you get all the rest, escapes you, doesn't it? As you can only wake up, you say, I just slept, but I'm so tired. But we will be raised imperishable on that day. Fourthly and finally, those who live with the Lord always before them in holiness and obedience may die comfortably for they will be in his glorious presence forever. Those who live with the Lord always before them in holiness and obedience may die comfortably for they will be in his glorious presence forever. You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures for everyone. In this world sorrow is our lot, but in heaven there is joy. All our joys here are empty and defective, but in heaven there is a fullness of joy. Our pleasures here are transient and brief, but those at God's right hand have pleasures forevermore. For they are the pleasures of bodies and souls in the presence of an eternal God. I hope you look forward to that day. I certainly do. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, how we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. How we thank you that he faced suffering and death and temptation as we are. 
yet without sin. How we thank you that because he kept you before him and you were at his right hand, he was never moved until it was finished. Oh Lord, help us to persevere. Help us as your church to be sanctified continually as we look forward and long for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the glorious resurrection of our bodies where we will be with you forever. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.